God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God sound like? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially the, the Bible is a, a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about it? I just had some bad pizza. Jesus said we'd recognize his voice and follow him. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Godconversations.com Hi, and welcome to episode 16 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and the founder of Godconversations.com. Well, today is the beginning of a four-part series based on that mysterious book that we find right at the ends of our Bible, the book of Revelation. We're looking at how to understand this book, and today is part one of that series. The series was sparked by the release of a new movie that's about to hit the cinemas in the US during the month of October. It's called Left Behind. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's based on the very popular series of novels that were written by Tim LaHaye, and it depicts kind of what happens when Jesus returns. Now, growing up in the 80s, we had a film that was the equivalent of Left Behind. I haven't seen Left Behind yet, but I do know what it was like to watch the movie A Thief in the Night. Do I have any listeners who were around that time? If you can remember, there were some compelling scenes in it that were quite as frightening as I think what we'll see in the movie Left Behind. We see pilots disappearing from aeroplanes. We see driverless cars crashing over cliffs and homes suddenly emptied of their children. I particularly remember remember in the movie Thief in the Night, this woman running across the wall of a dam, and I just remember being terrified by it. I can tell you that back at church, I, I made many responses at the altar calls to that prayer of salvation to make sure I got it right. But the movie tells a little bit about some of the ideas that people have of what is going to happen at the end of the world. And while the movie Thief in the Night doesn't have quite the same acting prowess as Nicolas Cage, it depicts a very similar idea about what could happen. And I remember as a, as a younger person, as a teenager, after watching that movie, taking my first dip into the book of Revelation, I don't know if you've read it for yourself, but let me tell you, I didn't get very far. Because as you know, the book of Revelation is, is a kind of the source of the script for these movies. But when you start reading Revelation, the first three chapters are kind of okay, but then you start to hit chapter four, and that's where all the weird stuff happens, you know, winged creatures with eyes all over them, beasts with ten heads and, and um, lots and lots of blood. It's, it's incredibly violent. It's quite um, horrific, some of the scenes we see, and even a little bit sexist. And when we read the book of Revelation, we don't really understand very easily what it means. Yet this book was written as a word from God to the people. This book is presented as a message, a God conversation to his people. And obviously, if God speaks to us, he means for us to understand. And for us living 2,000 years later, trying to make sense of this book, we ask, well, what was God saying how, how can we make sense of some of these violent scenes and imagery that we see and some of these strange beasts and creatures and all sorts of happenings that are going on? How can we derive any encouragement or, or anything to read that affects our spiritual walk? Well, that's what this series is about. Over the next four podcasts, we hope to shed some light 
on how to read some of those obscure passages and bring out some of the key themes of the book. The book of Revelation contains some powerful messages for us today and particularly in light of some of the the forces and the circumstances that are happening in our world, some of the things happening in the Middle East, I think you're going to find that the message of, of Revelation is incredibly relevant to us today. But it's not only that that we're going to focus on, because as you know, this podcast is about God conversations, right? So you may ask, what does this have to do with hearing God's voice? Well, it has a lot to do with hearing God's voice because Revelation is one of the clearest examples of the Holy Spirit speaking to his people and he's using a dream vision. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at the book of Revelation in that understanding, in that light, and have a look at how to understand it in order that we may understand the dreams and visions that God speaks to us through. We're going to have a look at how to interpret the dream. We're going to look at some of the circumstances surrounding the vision. We're going to look at the symbols in the vision and the kind of response that the Spirit of Jesus expected for the people to take. And by doing this, kind of looking at Revelation as a bit of a case study, by doing this, our prayer, my desire today is that when you do receive a dream from God yourself, you're going to have a bit of a framework for how to understand it. So get ready. It's, it's a pretty chunky series. There's so much to learn. I know you're going to enjoy it. Get your Bible out. Get ready to learn and to listen about how to read this wonderfully mysterious book. But before we start from that, I want to just welcome any new listeners to our podcast. You know, I've just returned from New Zealand and I love New Zealand. They're very good to me over there. I was there for a, a conference in a, in a church near Wellington. We had a wonderful time. And also I was able to be there at the time when the Other Side of the Conversation series was launched on Shine TV. So it was really great to, to get comments and feedback from the series, not only on my Facebook page, but also face-to-face through people. Got an opportunity to speak to Radio as well on their, on their show and really enjoy the Kiwi hospitality. So if you're from New Zealand, particularly new to the podcast, I really want to welcome you today. And of course, anyone else who's signed up in the last few weeks, welcome to you. So let's start taking a look at this book a little more closely. As I said before, if you're anything like me, you haven't gotten past the first three chapters. In fact, I know that Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door at knock, is one of the most quoted verses from Revelation, but I was trying to think if there were any others. The truth is, you don't often hear teaching on the book of Revelation, do you? Have you noticed? You don't read it for a bedtime story, and you certainly don't teach it in Sunday school, and there's a reason for that. The book of Revelation is difficult to understand, isn't it? In fact, it's been a source of controversy throughout its 2,000-year history, and what we see is myriads of interpretations for what it means. There's a whole history of examples, not just the ones that we have from recent times, but throughout church history. Let me give you some examples of those. First of all, people considered that the Pope, the Catholic Pope, was the beast and, and the prostitute in the book of Revelation during the Middle Ages. Alternatively, later on, it was deemed that the Muslim leader, Saladin, was the Antichrist during the time of the Crusades. During the time of the Reformation, the New Jerusalem was declared to be the German city of Strasbourg. In the 1900s, Henry Kissinger was seen to be the Antichrist. 
In other teachings, perhaps a little bit more recently in the 1970s, it was the invention of the credit card was seen to be the signal that the world was ending. It was the mark of the beast that was used to to signal the end of days. So there's been so many predictions out of it, so many interpretations. It's been used of people to try and predict the end of the world and and, and numerous world events like the invasion of Russia into Israel, the the agenda of the modern European Union, the list goes on and on and on. In fact, when you start to read some of this stuff, it can be a little bit embarrassing, just what people have expected throughout history and how often they've been misunderstood or misplaced in their interpretations. So have you seen the movie yet of Left Behind? It's important to understand that even this movie is an example of someone's interpretation. In fact, it's only a recent interpretation that was developed in the last 200 years, the whole concept of a rapture where people would be taken away, whisked away while others would be left behind on earth is a recent development that developed theologically about 200 years ago. And for those who want to be technical about it, here's some terminology for you. Tim LaHaye's novels are based on a premillennial, pre-tribulation, dispensationalist interpretation of Revelation. I'm not sure if that means anything to you, but there's also futurist, amillennial, historist, mid- and post-tribulation, preterist, and idealist approaches, plus any combination of them all. It's enough to confuse anyone, isn't it? So what are we trying to achieve during this series Well, we're not going to get tangled up in all those terms and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the theory of things. What I want to do is to give you a framework by which you can understand this this book of Scripture, this wonderful book of Scripture, because the truth is that the book of Revelation is a dream vision. That's the type of revelation that it is. And when we understand how to interpret dreams, when we understand how we interpret visions, we're going to be able to understand this book in a much more deeper and clearer way. Of course, that's what we do in God conversations. God speaks to us in many different ways. Sometimes he uses words, but quite often he uses pictures or visual imagery. And we're going to see that sometimes those images and visions that we see require interpretation. We see that all the way through the Bible. We see it in the life of Joseph, in the life of Daniel, in the life of the Egyptian Pharaoh, Jacob, Abraham. Many of these characters have dream visions from God and they need to be interpreted. They're symbolic, they're full of imagery and in order to understand their message, we need to interpret them. Well, Revelation is a great example of that. In fact, I wouldn't say it was one dream or vision. I'd say it was a multiple series of ones because it's so detailed. And I doubt very much that the author of this book had that one dream in one night. It would have been a restless night if he did. But it's certainly been brought together in a coherent theme where God is trying to speak to his people. He is a talking God and he wants to communicate with us and he wants to communicate clearly. So in my ministry, one of the ways I do that is to help people to interpret their dreams. So by the end of the series, you'll not only be able to hear God's voice more clearly in your own life, but you'll also understand the message that God spoke through the Apostle John to the early church. So this is not a play-by-play book on the Revelation, and this is not going to answer every single question you ever have about every question on Revelation. And I certainly don't want it to be something that sparks a whole lot of arguments. 
But I think what I give you will help you, and I think it's going to help you with your own God conversations. During the series, I'm going to be drawing on the expertise of a few other scholars as well, just to let you know some of those people. So if you'd like to go a little bit deeper, you can do that. And I'm going to leave their details in the show notes and the podcast section of the website. But Greg Boyd recently did a, a series on Revelation. He's a scholar in the US, and I encourage you to have a look at that. A, good, a friend of mine and colleague, John Newton, a academic in Melbourne, based in Melbourne at Harvest Bible College, has recently written a book called Revelation Reclaimed. And we're using some of the material from his book and also a few others on the web. Kurt Williams is doing a series right now as well and his information is available at the Pathios website as well. So I encourage if you want to do a little bit more um, study and research into those things but there's some of the sources I'm drawing on as we look at this book. So first of all what is the book of Revelation? Well you know there are many many different types of books in the Bible. We often talk about the Bible as being a book don't we? But I think an easier way to understand the Bible is to look at it as being a library because it's a collection of books, 66 books. And many of those books come under different categories. If I'm to go into a library today, I'm going to see a whole host of different categories, aren't I? I'll be in the fiction section or the non-fiction section. I'll be in the history section, the science section. I'll be in the the poetry section or the section for children The libraries that we have divide the books up into different categories. Well, I think it's helpful to see the Bible that way as well because the truth is there's a whole lot of different styles and genres, we call them, in the Bible. Let me give you some examples. First of all, the very well-known epistles or letters. So like 1st and 2nd Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth to address particular pastoral issues that were happening in the church at that time. Or we get the wisdom collections, like Psalms and Ecclesiastes and the Proverbs. Proverbs, for example, is more a collection of pithy little sayings that help you along in life. Then you get the autobiographies, like the Gospels, who tell the life of Jesus from four different perspectives. Then you get history, the potted histories, for example, of the history of Israel. We get two of those one in Samuel Kings and one in Chronicles that tell a slightly different slant on the way Israel's history unfolded. See, there are lots of different categories and genres of these books. And we need to understand that when we approach these books, we actually approach them differently. We read them differently. And when I look at the book of Revelation... I understand that this is another type of category of book. It's called apocalyptic literature. And you see some examples of it in other parts of the Bible, some famous ones, particularly the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel in places, a little bit of Zechariah. These are specific genre of literature that relates to the dream and vision context. You'll notice I'm using the word dream and vision together. Well, there's a reason for that, because in the Bible, those terms are used quite interchangeably, and they refer to the vehicle through which God is speaking. As I said earlier, God often uses words, but also he uses pictures. He uses pictures in a dream when I'm asleep and in a vision when I'm awake. What we see in the book of Revelation is somewhere between that. We see that John is referred to as being in the spirit. He's almost in a trance. But the point is that he sees this message in picture form. It's like a movie that's displayed dramatically across the screen of his mind. It's important to note that this is a really common way 
for God to speak. Much of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, is written in this way. Many of the prophetic literature books, for example, come across in vision and dream form. So this is not so unusual, perhaps a little bit for unusual for us who may not be used to that, but very common in the biblical literature. And what's happening with the book of Revelation is something really interesting. See, as Christians and as, as people who um, believe in God, we understand that the world is natural. We see the natural realm, don't we? The things that we see, touch, hear and feel. But we also know by faith that there is a spiritual realm, the realm that's invisible, the place where God lives, the place that I can't see with my natural eyes. But we know it's real. We know there's God, we know there's angels, we know there's demons, we know there's an enemy that's out there, even though we can't see how that operates. And sometimes we can't always see what's happening. We know that things like prayer influences the spiritual world and that the Bible tells us that there's a a war, battle and influences behind the scenes that impact our life. So what we see in the book of Revelation, it's almost like the curtain that divides the natural world And the spiritual world is opened. It's revealed. In fact, the very word apocalyptic from which we get apocalypse is the word hidden. So it's almost like God comes along and he pulls the curtain back and he says, okay, this is what's happening behind the scenes. This is what you see on the front of the stage. But let me show you what's happening behind the curtain. And God does this for us. It's one of the reasons why he speaks in order that we may understand what's going on, that we may be able to see from his perspective. So I think of some examples. I think of Jacob's stairway to heaven dream. As he's lying there, he sees the the stairway going up to heaven. The curtains are open and he sees angels coming up and down it. And he realizes that there's access to the spiritual realm. There's access to the presence of God. You see this in Daniel's dream visions with angels and demons at war, spirits at war. Well, we also see this in the book of Revelation and that's why it's given that name. Something is revealed. Something which was hidden is now demonstrated for everyone to see. So the question then is, what is it that is revealed? What what is it that's going on behind the curtain? What's happening in the spiritual world? And as God's people, sometimes God wants to show us that, that we may see from his perspective and respond accordingly. So to understand the book of Revelation, we first need to understand that most of it is visionary material and that most of it, like many dreams and visions, require interpretation. So this is how we are going to approach it. In the seminar that I teach called Awaken Your Dreams, we use a framework a series of questions to help us interpret our dreams. There are five questions that we use that we can apply to any dream that we feel might be a dream from God. We're going to use these same five questions in looking at the book of Revelation. Let me tell you what they are. Number one, the setting. What is the setting of the dreamer's life? Number two, the feeling. What is the emotion of the dream? Number three, The meaning, what do the symbols mean to the dreamer? The test, is the dream from God? The response, how is the dream asking me to respond? We're going to apply these five questions 
to the book of Revelation and use them as a case study in order that we can understand our own dreams. Before we get on to that, can I just encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to listen to some of the resource we have at the website, I really encourage you to do that. There's a great teaching message called Does God Speak in Dreams? And it lays a bit of the groundwork. There's also another message there called Awaken Your Dreams. And once you've had a listen to that, you're going to find that this is a whole lot more straightforward in listening to it in relation to Revelation. So today's podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first question, the setting. What is the setting of the dreamer's life? When people come to me and often they'll ask me, they'll say, Tanya, I've had this dream. Could you help me interpret what God is saying? I think it's from God, but I'm not quite sure what it means. Have you ever had one of those scenarios? The first question I will ask to them is this. When you had the dream, what was going on in your life? See, we need to establish the setting. God speaks into the circumstances of our life. He wants to encourage us. He wants to show us his will. He wants to guide us and help us. So he's going to talk to us about the things that we're facing. So whenever we have a dream, we ask ourselves, what am I going through? What's happening in my life? What questions am I asking that I need answers to? We can apply those same questions to the book of Revelation. We ask ourselves, what was going on in the dreamer's life? What concerns did he have? Who was it addressed to? What was God saying to them? The good thing about the Revelation, the book of Revelation, is that the first chapter tells us exactly that. And it's a really helpful way to understand the message of Revelation. We can also do a little bit of historic research in order to understand what was happening in the time of Revelation. But let me read to you. I'm going to read to you the first five verses because I think they're so important just to establish the foundation of where the message is going. So from verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Then the letter begins. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So we see very clearly from the start that the person who received this vision was John. Most of us assume that it was the Apostle John that we know and love from the Gospel of John, but others have suggested it could be a church elder or someone else called John who had some sort of pastoral role in the life of these churches in Asia Minor, the area which we now call Turkey. So what's going on in John's life when he received this vision? What is the setting? Well, we know that John is in exile He's on the Isle of Patmos, which is a small island just off the coast of Turkey. And the reason why he's there is because of his faith and testimony of Jesus. He's a man who's being persecuted by the empire. He's someone who's suffering because of the cause of Christ. 
criminals and enemies of the state were sent to this island and they were sent there for life. There was no coming back. It was a convict island. I think of um, Australia in those terms. John was stuck on this island. And if you can imagine what it would have felt like to be him, having been faithful to Jesus, having been a great witness to what God had done in his life, now he's being persecuted and he's being imprisoned or exiled on this island with no hope of return, with no hope of seeing his family and his friends. He's alone. And it's in that context, it's in that setting that Jesus turns up, that the spirit of Jesus comes with a message of encouragement. Then the brilliant thing about this is that John takes that revelation that he's received from God and then he brings it to the seven churches that he's connected to. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes it's in the hardest times of our lives that we receive the greatest revelation. Isn't that true? We find ourselves alone, suffering, isolated. And as we turn to God in those times, as we look to him and listen for his voice, he comes to us and he encourages us with messages of revelation about who he is, his purposes and his ways. And if we receive them, if we listen for his voice and begin to believe and act on them in faith, then what God does is he uses that revelation to encourage others. Have you ever noticed how that works? Well, this is what's happening here. John has received this revelation about who God is in the midst of his suffering. And now he's able to pass it on to the seven churches. See, the seven churches of Asia Minor, they're named here in Revelation, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. These seven churches are in many ways in a similar position as John because they're under persecution too. They were only relatively new Christians, This is only the early church. Many of the people in that church would have come from a background of Judaism or some of the Greco-Roman religions. And here they were, and suddenly they were facing persecution, particularly by the Roman Empire. In fact, the first three chapters of Revelation tell us that some of them had already suffered martyrdom. And the book of Revelation indicates that it was about to get worse. So we ask ourselves, what what kind of persecution were they facing? What what exactly were they up against? So we ask ourselves, when was this letter sent out? And there's two different theories. One of those theories was that Revelation was written in the late 60s AD, during or just before the time that the Roman Emperor Nero launched a violent attack on Rome's Christians. So it was just before the Jews rose up and rebelled against Rome and the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. That's one theory. However, most scholars believe that the letter was written in the mid-90s, near the end of the Emperor Domitian's reign. And if you know a little bit about the Emperor Domitian, he was a strong persecutor of Christians, almost like a second Nero. And he was accused in history of demanding worship from his subjects. So what you've got here is pressure on the Christians to give away their faith and comply with the rule of the state, the rule of the great Roman Empire, to actually worship the emperor. So this is a dreadful thing to be facing. We need to understand the greatness and the vastness and the power of the Roman Empire in the first century. 
in order to understand the kind of conundrum that they found themselves in. You see, the Roman Empire consisted of a vast territory around the Mediterranean and their power was seemingly invincible. It was the greatest empire of the day. I think back to the opening scene of the movie Gladiator and even though it's a slightly later time, you see that the Romans were conquering all the peoples of the empire, the Germanics in this case. That's what they would do is they were taking over more and more territory and all these different nations and ethnic groups were living under the power of the Roman Empire. We see this in the time of Jesus as well with the Jews under the authority of the Romans. You know, Jesus walking along the streets and coming into contact with a Roman centurion. This was commonplace. The Roman Empire was more than just a political system. It was a vast economic entity, incredibly prosperous, a lot of power that in many ways provided security for the people and people could travel in enormous distances on the Roman roads around the empire. In fact, some of those Roman roads, as a tourist, you can go and visit today. They're still there after 2,000 years. But not only that, the Roman Empire was a religious system. It was grounded in Roman civil religion with a pantheon of gods such as Jupiter and Venus and increasingly the emperor cult. The worship of the emperor was especially popular in the province of Asia to which Revelation was addressed. So what we see here is this pressure to align themselves with the emperor, to say Caesar is Lord rather than Jesus is Lord. And if they didn't comply, they would face punishment. For John, it was exile. But for others, it had already been martyrdom. This was a difficult time in early church history. You can actually see some of the specifics of this in chapter 2 if you read it for yourself. It says the Ephesian church, for example, was enduring hardships. The Smyrnans had experienced afflictions and poverty and slander, for them mostly from the Jewish synagogue. The Christians in Pergamon had already lost one of their leaders, Antipas, to martyrdom. You know, I think of some of the things that's happening in the Middle East now in Iraq, and I think there's just so much relevance to what's happening in our world today. Those people who are losing leaders and, and churches that are being burnt down and people that are being forcibly converted and facing this kind of conundrum in their lives. We also see that a number of people had already lost their lives. Revelation 6.9 talks about the souls of those had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. Sadly, John has another message as well. He's saying that the persecution is as it is, but it's actually going to get worse. So in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So what is the book of Revelation about? Well, at its core, it's an encouragement from the voice of God to a people who are suffering, to a people who are under pressure to give up their faith or die. I love that God wants to speak to us in times of trial. When we're facing persecution, when we're facing suffering, God's voice comes to us to strengthen and encourage and to build up. We need to be listening to that voice. We need to be inclining our ear to hear what he has to say in the same way that the seven churches were listening to him. On a bigger picture level, we also see something else going on in Revelation. 
What we're going to see is that this book addresses the battle that's going on between the power of the Roman Empire and the power of God's kingdom. I almost think um, Revelation's a little bit like the Lord of the Rings (laughs) with all the scary and fierce characters in it. A battle between good and evil and a secret to victory. We see the players in both armies. We see that the battle is fierce and there's much bloodshed. But we also see that the winner is obvious. But the key to the victory is quite surprising. Can you see how understanding the setting of a dream or a vision makes a difference to how we understand the message? If you've had a dream you think is from God, make sure you ask yourself that same question. What is the setting of my life? God wants to speak into your personal circumstances with a message of life and encouragement. I think of a dream I had a number of years ago. In the dream I was standing in church And I saw the whole building around me crumbling down. Of course, everyone ran out the door. And I can remember in the dream running out into the streets. In the next scene, I was all alone. And I was running through this abandoned city street. And I I realise that I'm under attack. There are massive torpedoes flying around my head, whizzing past my ears. And I can feel the terror. So what I do is I start to run I run away from the city so far until I see the next scene where I'm standing behind this enormous rock and I'm looking back at the city skyline and I'm watching this battle play out amongst all the buildings of the city. And as I watch, I realise that the torpedoes that are flying around the streets are not blowing up. There's no explosions. They're just flying around menacing. And I'm thinking to myself, they're not going to kill anyone. They're just attacking And my next thought as I wake up is this, should I go back to the city? Now, in order to understand the meaning of that dream, and I know the dream was from God, you have to understand the setting. You have to understand what was going on in my life at the time. I just moved to the city from interstate. I was full of faith about the promises of God for my life and the expectation about what God was going to do. But things had started to go wrong all over the place. And I remember being so distressed and upset by that that I wondered, should I go back home to where I've come from? See, now you can see what the dream is saying, can't you? God was saying, yes, you're under attack. It's a spiritual attack. And in fact, there would be more. But the truth is, the attack's not going to hurt you. You're not going to be harmed by it. So what I want you to do is stay in the city. Don't run. Don't go home. Keep persevering. Keep believing what I've told you. In the same way, when we see and understand the setting of the book of Revelation, we can see that it's a prophetic word for, first of all, the Apostle John, who's in exile, who's suffering for the word of God. And then it's also a word of encouragement for the seven churches that he addresses his letter to. John has received the revelation. He's carefully written it down. And then he sends it out as a letter to be read out to the churches. He submits it to them for their encouragement and strength and comfort. The book of Revelation is a message that responds to the issues that each church was facing. It has some specific encouragement and corrections, but it also addresses the bigger picture and some of the trials that they were facing in their own churches. 
So that lays a bit of a foundation. It's a long way of saying this was what was happening because we can't understand the message and the meaning of it unless we understand the backdrop. It's a little bit like walking into a movie halfway. You've sort of got to find out what's been happening before that. But now I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. What I'd love you to do before the next podcast is to get your Bible out and read Revelation chapter 1 to 3 for yourself. I want you to put yourself in the position of the Apostle John, who's on the Isle of Patmos, and the seven churches in Asia Minor. And I want you to imagine how it would have felt to be in their position, to be terrified by what Rome was going to do to you, to have heard the stories of martyrdom, to have, to have been aware of those threats and to know that maybe this could happen to you. You're sitting there and you're weighing up what your faith means and what Jesus meant to you and how to live your life. And next podcast, we're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to look at the second question in our five questions. What are the emotions of the dreamer? And also we're going to start looking at the third. What do the symbols mean to the dreamer. We're going to have a look at some of those fun and unusual elements, the beast with the seven heads and the drunken prostitute, for example. I know you're going to find it helpful. So I encourage you to tune in in a fortnight's time and listen to the next part of our series. Hey, thanks for listening today. We'd love to hear your comments and your thoughts. You can leave them at the website, godconversations.com forward slash podcast, episode number 16. Now, perhaps God is wanting to speak to you today. He wants to bring you encouragement and perhaps he's going to do it in a dream. Our prayer is that we are people who listen for his word and be encouraged to follow it. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast by Tanya Harris. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. So post your comments on the blog page of godconversations.com or at facebook.com forward slash Tanya M. Harris. Help us to equip others to recognize God's voice by rating the series on iTunes. Remember, Jesus said we would know his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.